Hello, my name is Melissa Hoffman. I'm a public health associate at the Medical Society of the State of New York, and I am joined today by Dr. Craig Katz. Dr. Katz is a clinical professor of psychiatry, medical education, system design, and global health at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Dr. Katz founded and directs Mount Sinai's program on global mental health. He also co-founded and led disaster psychiatry outreach. Dr. Katz is co-vice chair of Minsky's Committee on Emergency Preparedness and Disaster Terrorism Response. Today, we will be discussing the mental health effects the COVID pandemic has had on physicians. My first question today, Dr. Katz, is prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, physician burnout was already high. Can you please describe the compounding impact COVID has had on physician burnout? Yeah, thank you, Melissa. Whenever we think of an event, a catastrophic event of, of any size, certainly including one of a truly global magnitude like the pandemic, we always think in terms of how the event is affecting people. Uh, but it's not simply about what we would call the exposure to the event, the, the emotional exposure to the event, although that's a big factor. Extremely important factor is what people bring to the table in the first place, who they were, where their life was at before. And in the case of physicians, that certainly who became right, the frontline workers of this event, as we've come to realize and really actually anticipated even before the event and, and have seen live, their exposure, physicians' exposure has been extremely high. But the other issue is that pre-pandemic, there was increasing attention, as many of you may know, to the issue of burnout in physicians and an increasing attempt to kind of catch up and promote a culture of wellness in physicians, in, in practice, in medical centers. And because of that, physicians on the whole, as a community, I guess depending upon how their practice or their institution was handled, how they were handling the potential for burnout pre-pandemic, were not necessarily coming into this pandemic in a, in a strong position. So I think that is a, a really big concern, right? In some sense, you don't really need research to demonstrate this, which is that if you're having problems before, then you are more likely to have problems during or after. And so there is, a, I think, a very big concern that, that burnout is definitely uh, you know, set up physicians to do less well in the pandemic than that they otherwise would do. On the other hand, because it was getting increased attention pre-pandemic and there are a lot of wellness programs and chief wellness officers being identified throughout the nation and institutions, there is some hope that maybe that offsets some of that and actually that some of those resources that were put in place pre-pandemic can, and I actually have seen that at my own institution, be refitted for use in the pandemic. Can you please describe some factors that may influence how people and physicians in particular react to stressful and unknown situations? Uh, certainly. One can think about the, the factors that influence how physicians or others react into both risk factors and protective factors. So the risk factor side, there are a number of risk factors. At the top is, of course, exposure, how exposed one was. And that's really, it's hard to quantify that, but it's emotional exposure. It's, did you lose someone close to you? Did you have the COVID-19 and, and to what extent and how you handled it and how you supported economic impact, et cetera. But beyond that, 
The other risk factors are related to one's own personal experience in the past with either trauma or mental health care, or I should say mental health problems. So in both respects, having had a trauma before can sometimes, depending upon how it was handled, either make you less well-suited to handling a current trauma or perhaps better suited. Some people, in a sense, from a past trauma, they grow, they learn from it. They almost develop what you might think of as like psychological calluses on their hands. So they, they're able to handle tough things in the future and not get hurt again. But some people go through traumas and they don't do so well. They don't, let's say, we say process it or get mental health care for it or whatever support they need. And so they're just much more vulnerable. They're much more fragile. So that's a big factor. And with regard to prior mental health history, I said mental health care, but actually that's actually not the risk factor. The risk factor is having a past mental health problem. The literature supports that. But I would say especially a past mental health problem that was undiagnosed or undertreated or untreated. That is really going to set people up for not doing so well. And then on top of that, physicians and people in general, they were having problems in their life before the pandemic. They're certainly not going to get better in the pandemic, and they're likely to get worse. At the very least, somebody who had was dealing with a lot before, whether it was relationship stuff, marriage, health problems, economic problems, job dissatisfaction, burnout, as we discussed, they're just simply going to be more likely to do poorly from a, a mental health perspective. And the availability of social support, or the lack of it, is a real risk factor for people. The flip side of that is if you have adequate social support, you feel supported, you're going to do better. Uh, that's a, that would become a protective factor. And that, that, that's a huge one. And that's certainly been borne out in studies of healthcare workers, both in the current pandemic, but even during SARS-CoV-1, some studies out of China demonstrated that feeling supported by one's leadership at the hospital was protective for healthcare workers who otherwise were or are on the front lines in, in that outbreak or in the current one. So social support is a big one, depending upon which way it cuts. There are some other factors that we would call not modifiable necessarily, really, that can set somebody up. Women seem to have more post-traumatic problems than men do. We don't know if that's about their greater likelihood of seeking care, of acknowledging they need help than do men, which is generally the case, if there's something biological going on or all the above. There's some thought about, depending upon your age, you might be more at risk. So being middle-aged in some research has been suggested to be a risk factor for doing poorly. And you can sort of kind of understand why middle-aged sort of having to worry about the young and potentially the old, and you've got much more responsibility. So it may be especially stressful for you. And then one last potential risk factor is being a member of an underrepresented minority. That has long, even before the Black Lives Matter movement, been of concern as a risk factor for mental health after a big event. Why that is, is open to discussion. It may be because of lack of access to care before the event. It may be because there was more stigma about seeking out mental health care in many of these groups, even before the, the pandemic, but that's a risk factor. So those are all risk factors. But on the protective side, there are abundant resilience factors, things that can help people do okay and bounce back. And even depending upon where they're at, even grow from a trauma. And there are, depending upon what you read, probably about 10 different risk factors. They include one's ability to be realistically optimistic, not blindly, but at least realistically optimistic. One's ability to face fear and not run from it. Running from fear in a dark alley is a good idea, but running from fear in one's life is not good. And so that's a risk factor. Having a sense of spirituality in one's life, if one is so lucky to be spiritual or to be 
connected to a faith tradition and in a religion that's usually quite protective. Physical exercise is quite protective, for sure, under any circumstance. There's also an idea of brain fitness, using one's brain a lot, actually, although it's a little harder to figure out how to exactly do that, although there are some websites to do that's a protective factor. The ability to have cognitive flexibility and to think flexibly is also a consideration. Some people may be more predisposed to that for an event and be lucky enough to be cognitively flexible. So that's something to think about. Having a sense of meaning and purpose, something that was written a lot by psychiatrist Viktor Frankl uh, during his experience in the Holocaust, is also quite protective. So there are a number of protective factors. And social support, I already mentioned, is a, is a huge one as well. So there are risks and there are protective factors. Thank you, Dr. Katz. My next question is, do you think the pandemic has decreased the stigma associated with mental health within the physician community? Or do you think mental health care and self-care has decreased in the physician community because of it, because well, of the pandemic, I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I'm not sure if I know the answer, if anybody quite knows the answer right now. You know, on, on the whole, there's no question that uh, any kind of large-scale catastrophic event tends to, at least for the short term, destigmatize talking about emotions and maybe seeking mental health care. And so that may well be extrapolated to physicians. But on the whole, physicians are sort of a, a tough nut to crack when it comes to seeking mental health care for any number of reasons. So I would like to think that that is the case, but I'm not sure if we know that just yet from the, from the pandemic. Are there any unique mental health aspects of COVID-19 compared to any past infectious outbreaks or disasters? Well, I think the unique aspects of it from a mental health perspective, I, I can think of one possibly negative one, but actually mostly positive ones. The possibly negative one is just the economic impact because economic crises tend to be quite bad for mental health, of course, and public health crises are too. You put them together and it may be especially toxic from a mental health perspective. But we'll see because, of course, there have been past pandemics that have had economic impact. They all have. We just don't know enough about them. So it's not clear whether this is different from past. But I would say there are some positives that seem to me to be pretty clearly different. One is that the availability of mental health care particularly in a state like New York, even though we do have plenty of mental health shortage areas around the state, as designated by the federal government, we have plenty of them. But on the whole, the public mental health system in New York is quite strong. The private system is quite strong. And so there's plenty of thoughts that we have the resources in a way that we've never had before in history to be able to address mental health care in this setting in a way that if this had happened 20, 30 years ago, certainly when it happened in in the pandemic in 1918, wasn't there at all. Related, I think, is that the scientific enterprise in psychiatry and medicine in general and in public health is certainly the best it's ever been in history. And so there's a lot of reason to think that that, our ability to learn from this event will be as good as one could ever have thought it could be. And particularly, when we think about disasters, we always hope we learn from disasters Usually disasters, thankfully, are localized events. And most disaster-related research are publications about how much PTSD there was, et cetera. They're not particularly newsworthy because, of course, PTSD happens after a trauma. It's like asking, does someone suffer an orthopedic fracture when their ceiling collapses on them? But what we lack are treatment studies, how to help people right after a trauma, particularly in a preventive way, how to administer them 
with what would be the psychological equivalent of a sublingual nitroglycerin to prevent their developing problems like PTSD, major depression. And, you know, historically, there has not been done much research done on that because there are usually ethical and logistical problems with rolling out research like that right after a disaster. But in this case, this has happened to the entire world for good or for bad. But the good part is you have many more minds thinking about how to help these things. And there have already been several publications that I've picked up on that look at how to do short-term brief and I would say fairly non-technical interventions to reduce the, the immediate mental health impact on people so that they don't go on to develop long-term psychiatric problems. So I think that there are actually quite a few positives from a mental health perspective, even though we've been bracing for a sort of a surge in mental health care needs, you know, we have pretty good resource to rise to the challenge. And Dr. Katz, just to add on to that comment, are there any resources you can recommend to physicians that might help alleviate burnout and stress? Well, certainly. MISNI actually has some wonderful resources. And in particular, I would recommend the peer-to-peer program, which is a, a program that MISNI has wanted to set up even before pre-pandemic, but the pandemic added some momentum to the issue, and now the program is in place. And this is the ability to speak with, potentially even meet with, a fellow physician who has been trained to talk about basic mental health issues with you and just to be supportive. And if after that dialogue, the two of you think that maybe there's a need for more formal mental health treatment, help you find care. But it is a really unique program that I hope also destigmatizes mental health because it's just it's speaking to a colleague and the kind of colleague that is psychologically attuned and just wants to be there as an ear for you to speak to and with an open heart. So I, that really has to be at, at the top of my list for resources for physicians in, in New York State. We're really lucky to have it. Other than that, of course, depending upon where you're at, if you're your home institution uh, may well have uh, resources in place, employee assistance programs, of course. In my own institution, we've been fortunate enough to have the resources to set up a, a mental health program specifically for our healthcare workers, all of them physicians, nurses, et cetera. And a number of institutions have been doing that, certainly in, in New York that I'm aware of. So that's another very good resource. But you know, sometimes people look for support. They don't need to go to a mental health professional or they don't want to. But we know that Clergy are a great resource, and you know, some of this also it depends upon who you are. But I, you know, I think the, the 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 main thing is if you have a sense that you're in any way struggling, that all this is getting on top of you, you should speak to somebody. Uh, that you know, it sounds a little corny, but that's like the first step. Sometimes just unloading a little bit and unburdening and talking to someone who can lend you a sympathetic ear, whether it's a spouse or a friend or a coworker, it's important, and that's why. For example, the, uh, the military has a lot of experience with what they call battle buddies, which I think is a great, great idea, which is just pairing up, in their case, soldiers, uh, members of the military with one another to check in on one another. I, for years, have thought physicians and other healthcare workers should do this, particularly those who work in high-stress settings like emergency departments and ICUs, but you know, medicine in general is stressful. To have a buddy that one can check in on and have them check in on you, I think, would be huge. And uh, I would, I would strongly encourage looking into that for yourselves as well. Thank you, Dr. Katz, and thank you everyone for listening. Anyone who is interested in the MISNI P2P or peer-to-peer program, you can email p2p at misny, that's M-S-S-N-Y dot org, or call 1-844-P2P-HERE. And you can 
use this number or email address to either volunteer to become trained as a peer or to be put in contact with a peer. The number and email are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, thank you for listening.